Now, in the series on the power of positive confession, which has been going on now forever, it seems, we have concluded our discussion of what we are in Christ. That's one of the four principles God wants us to confess. You know, we talked about the four principles, the four facts that God wants, wants us to confess, what we are in Christ, where we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, and what we can do in Christ. Today we begin the discussion of where we are in Christ. And you know, communion is such a suitable day in which to bring this message. I didn't plan it this way, but you'll see how it ties right into communion. Uh, this is the second principle that we must learn to confess if we are to live that victorious overcoming life. That confession is where we are in Christ. Now, this principle, where we are in Christ, is important because it refers to our position or our standing with Christ. Now, what is our standing? We have been crucified with Christ and we have ascended with Christ and we've done the things in between. Buried with Christ, risen with Christ, and ascended with Christ. And we're going to talk about this this morning. And as I said, communion is an excellent day. Communion celebration is an excellent day to do any of these messages. But this one in particular, because all of these four facts, and in fact, this whole message on, on, our, on the power of positive confession, has to do with our identification, who we are our identity with Christ and the identity that God gave us through Christ. Now, the Bible teaches us who Jesus is, but it really teaches us, and a lot of people are not thoroughly, thoroughly knowledgeable about this fact. It teaches us who we are. When you learn who Jesus is, you learn who we are. And you will see as we proceed in this message this morning and, and, and continue our other parts of this series that we are as he is. The scriptures tell us as he is in heaven, so are we in this earth. And most of us don't act like that because if we acted like that, things would be quite different in our lives. So let's continue this explanation or this exploration in our previous discussion on what we are in Christ, I pointed out that the word declares that we are, not we are, but if we are in Christ, then we are a new creation. And I went on to point out that we are in Christ as a result of salvation, of being born again. When you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, when you're born again, you are now in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. That's the beginning of your new identity. Now, today I'm going to focus more precisely on where we are in Christ. We're in Christ, but where are we in Christ? And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. The good news is that we do have a position or standing in Christ, and we need to know what it is. Beyond knowing, and this is important, beyond knowing this, because you can know it just from reading this or from your own study, you need to understand the power this standing in Christ gives us and then not only understand it, but then operate in your position of power and authority here on earth. That's what it's all about. 
Apostle Paul says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And this life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we know that we have been crucified with Christ, as Paul tells us here. He, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. This is a statement of identification. We are identified with his crucifixion. When he was on the cross, just as a song that we just finished singing, our sins were nailed on the cross with him. And this is so important for us to identify with where Christ is and where we are in Christ. In this position of identification with Christ, in Christ, belongs to each and every one of us as believers and as children of God. God sees us identified with Christ. Apostle Price puts it this way, at the bottom of the page, he says, when Christ died at Calvary, Fred Price died at Calvary. When Jesus went into the grave, Fred Price went into the grave. When Jesus rose from the dead after three days and three nights, Fred Price rose from the dead. This is how God sees me, and I have to learn to see me the same way. See, just to give you a little bit of background, it's not in, the, in, in these notes, but the identity that we all should have had was robbed in the garden when Adam disobeyed. That was the first gigantic identity theft in the world. Satan is the original thief of identity. He stole Adam's identity. And when he steals your identity, he's then in a position to do whatever he wants to do. You remember John 10.10? 10? The thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. Once he steals your identity, then he can destroy you and he can kill you. He can take you out. He can defeat you in anything that you set out to do. That's why it's so important to know our identification in Christ, where we are. And we'll continue with that today. Now, let's be clear on what Apostle Price is telling us. He is saying that God sees our identity through Christ. When God sees us, he does not see the limited self that you see in the mirror or that I see or that we see when we look at each other. Uh, and the limitation that may be somewhat negative that we have of ourselves. Rather, he sees Jesus when he's looking at us. So he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. That's how important our identification is. So he doesn't see the limitations that we may have. He doesn't see the inadequacies. He doesn't see anything that would be less than uh, perfection in terms of where we ought to be and how we ought to be. He sees his son, Jesus, who is total perfection. Now, many Christians are aware that Christ has died for them, but they don't understand how this act of love affects their position. Some Christians dare to believe that, that they have risen with Christ. And according to Colossians 3.1, which says this. Now, in Colossians 3.1, it says, if you were raised with Christ, then you should seek 
those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If we were raised with Christ, then we should seek for those things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So that means that you're not marred down in the scuff of the earth and the things that uh, mere mortal man grapples with. You can seek the higher things. You can seek those things that be not as though they were. You can call those things that be not as though they were. Because through your identification in and through Christ, you have that ability. Now, if Christ is seated at the right hand of God, then that is where God sees us, at the right hand of God. I know you're seated here this morning, but God sees you seated at the right hand of God uh, where Jesus is. And this is so important. Now, however, even though the word of God tells us that we have been crucified, died and risen, far too many Christians are still living a defeated life. We have to go further in our knowledge. We have to understand, and this next point is so important. We have to understand that not only were we crucified with Christ, not only did we die with Christ, not only did we rise with Christ, but most importantly, we ascended with Christ. And this, this ascension is very important because it's this ascension, this ascending, that takes us above any obstacles, any challenges, anything that would deter us from making our way in life. Now, it doesn't mean that these things won't attack us, but it means that we are above them, meaning that we are bigger and better from them, from, uh, bigger and better than they are. And the scripture that comes into mind is no weapon formed against me shall prosper. The weapons will be formed. If you're a Christian, the weapons most definitely are going to be formed against you, but they will not prosper. In other words, they will not succeed. The only way they succeed is if you allow them to succeed. You have control. Now, look at what Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 21 tells us. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. It tells us this in verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power. And I say here, underline the words greatness of his power toward us. If you are a believer then his power has been committed to you. His power has been committed to you. You have his power with which to operate, in which to operate. Verse 20, which he worked. He's talking about the greatness of his power that he has committed towards us, which he worked in Christ, verse 20, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand or at his right hand in the heavenly places. 21, and this is, Really, all of it is important, but I want you to really key in on verse 21. We're seated in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in uh, that age which is to come. Now, when God says this about Jesus, he's talking about you and me. Now, it's hard for the individual the grasp is sometimes, but this is why we see this. He's not just saying this about Jesus. He's saying this about you. We are identified with him, and we're talking about where we are in Christ. You should recite verse 21 over and over again. 
And then you'll begin to see the enormity of this great power and privilege that we have. In Christ, as I said already, we are far above any and all adversity. Now, in that scripture that we just read, the word principalities in verse 21 refers to angelic beings of all ranks. These are angels, archangels, seraphim, cherub, 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 cherubim, cherubim. <laughs> cherubim. Now, or cherubim. Now, no matter who they are, we are above them in Christ Jesus. The word reminds me of somebody else who couldn't get the word origin out correct the other day. You know who I'm talking about? He wanted the investigators to go back to the origin of the problem. So I actually am just trying to cut myself some slack for messing over that word. Now, continuing the word power in the Greek that's in that scripture uh, is the word for authority. We're above all authority except, of course, God himself. We are above the authority of Satan, of course, and Satan has that power in the earth realm. We are above that power. We are above all the might. That's the other word in there, which means might in this sentence, in that scripture means strength. So we are above all the strength of Satan, demons or anyone else. Now, dominion in that scripture means rulership or control. And we are above this. We are above all dominion, all rulership and control. Now, if you can get a picture of this in your heart and mind, you will kick the devil right out of your life and out of your business, whatever your business is. Now, uh, Cassandra is talking about setting goals, life goals, and about applying uh, these principles to whatever business you establish or just in your goal in life, whether this is a pursuit of education and so forth and, and so, so on. If anybody's goal or business should succeed on this planet or in this society, it should be you. It should be us, the believers, as providing you know what you're doing when it comes to business. In other words, you can't Expect to open up and successfully operate a business which you know nothing about or you know just a limited amount of information about. A lot of people have great ideas about a business, but you may have the idea that you, you want to open up the best restaurant in New York. But if you can't cook or if you don't have a good cook or if you don't know something about purchasing the foods and ingredients necessary to prepare, if you don't know something about managing uh, the restaurant, and if you don't know something about managing the cash register, or you don't bring people in that you can trust to do this, then you can't expect to succeed. So you just can't say, I have this goal, and therefore, because I've been given this identification through Christ that I should succeed. No, you have to make some application. You can't, you know, I spent uh, three years in law school I could have said at the end of college, I want to be a lawyer and, and that was it and go out and hang up my shingles. But you can't do that. You have to go through three more years of law school in order to get your law degree. So, so you have to do what has to be done in the natural in terms of preparation. But if you do your part 
God has already, notice what I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not saying God will do his part. God has already done his part. Now, we teach this all the time here. There's nothing left for God to do. Whatever is needed, whatever is required, it's already been provided. You just have to understand that and grab hold of it. And the one way you do this is through your identification with and through Christ that we're talking about in this series. Now, if you lack wisdom, and some people do, wisdom might have to do with who you select to go in business with. Who do you select to sit at the cash register? Because that's very important. Because if you have the person sitting at the cash register who is saying, okay, five for you and 20 for me, you're, you're, you're not going to succeed. Or a person who, who, uh, who I, I can remember this situation. Uh, uh, there was a supermarket in our community years ago. And uh, we had a friend who worked there. And this friend who was one of the clerks was a friend with a lot of people. And I saw this one day. Friends would come in with this mountain of groceries. And they would only be charged a portion of of what, 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 what those groceries really cost. Well, obviously, if you run the business this way, it's not going to succeed. And guess what? That supermarket did not succeed. You can't give away your profits if you expect to succeed. Now, next to the last paragraph on page three, because we are in Christ, we are far above all principalities, far above all power and dominion. Look again at this verse. It tells us also that we are above every name that is named because we are where Christ is. Is fear a name? Then we are above fear. Is poverty a name? Then we are above poverty. Is welfare a name? Then we are above welfare. Is cancer a name? Then we are far above cancer. Is sickness a name? Is disease a name? We are far above all that is satanic and you should not tolerate sickness and disease in your body. Now, it is true that sickness and disease will try to come against you, but you stand in front of it and say, wait a minute, I have ascended with Christ. Now, how much sickness affects Christ? None. If you are seated together in heavenly places in Christ, as the word says, then sickness should not affect you either. Satan, the enemy, who brings the sickness and disease to you will try to intimidate you by putting thoughts in your mind and getting you to confess them and own them as yours. You wake up in the morning and you have an ache in the back and your first thought is, oh my God, that arthritis that crippled my mother, it's hit me. That's exactly the thought that Satan is putting in your mind. He wants you to confess it. And then you start talking about Oh, my, my aching back. Oh, when you start claiming it, guess who it belongs to? No, you have to stand against it. And you say, even in the face of the pain, you have to say, Satan, you and this pain have no dominion in my life or in my body. I don't give you the authority to harm me or to destroy my life or to injure my life or to cripple my life or to prevent me from functioning. You have to. Make, take that stand and say that. Talk to him like he's standing right there. That's what you do. Remember, death and life are in the power of a tongue. Whose tongue? Your tongue. You can control the circumstances of life with your words. 
It could be words of acceptance of the situation, the death situation, or they could be words of acceptance of life, which is the reality of you. Now, we should control the circumstances of life by what we confess or say. That is by saying and confessing what the word says about us. What the word says about us in the Bible is what God says about us. And as we have pointed out, God will confirm his word in your life. If you know that word, if you believe that word, if you confess that word, God will confirm it in your life. But again, too many Christians settle on what the world confers on them. The world, which has health challenges, which has less than enough, the world system, it says to you, that's all you should have and you shouldn't expect any more. Too many Christians settle on that. However, this is not who you are because you have been raised together with Christ. You are seated together with him in heavenly places. You have ascended with Jesus far above any adversity or limitation, and you are entitled to what he has and what he has paid for with his life and blood, which is what we talked about today in communion. So how do you defeat the enemy? You defeat the enemy with knowledge of God's word. The word that tells you that the enemy has already been defeated. See, it's not that you have to defeat Satan. Satan has already been defeated. Psalm 8, which is cited right there, he, he says that he has set all things under your feet. That includes Satan. Where Satan is, he's under your feet. He should not be lording over you in any way with any kind of challenge or attack and so forth. He's under our feet. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37, we're told that in the face of tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril of sword, in all these things, we are what? More than conquerors. See, it doesn't say, it doesn't even say here, in all these things, we will be more than conquerors. It's saying that we are already more than conquerors. And we just reviewed Ephesians Chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, which I discussed uh, a few minutes ago. And this tells us that with Christ, we're seated in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. In other words, that's any name that can come up anytime, anywhere in the future. Now, notice again, last paragraph in this verse. 21, we are seated above every name that is named in this age, but also in that which is to come. Now, you know how important this is? I already just stated it, but let me state it again. It means that no matter what name the enemy comes up with now or in the future, you are far above it. Just think about this. The name HIV or AIDS was not known to anyone prior to the end of 1970. They are different forms of cancer today that we didn't know about years ago. The word fascism or communism was not known until this last century. We did not always have the name learning disability or attention deficit disorder. These are fairly recent in terms of measuring time, but these are all names and any other name that we can rise above because we are seated where Christ is far above all of them. And you can apply that to anything, no matter what the challenge is, you are far above 
them all. So God is not calling us to contend with Satan for a place of victory. We are already victorious in Christ. You're not going into the ring and putting on your gloves to find out who is a champion. You are going on, and listen to this, you are going into the ring because you are the champion. Knowing that you are a champion already makes a big difference. Knowing that you're already victorious before the battle begins makes a big difference. Knowing that you have succeeded in the business or the enterprise that you're starting today, knowing that the day that you started, that's very important. And God, as we talk about all the time, sees the end from the beginning. We have the same ability. You can visualize the end in terms of where you want to be from the beginning. You visualize where you want to be. You want to be at the bank depositing that monthly income check of $200,000. That's where you, you see yourself. You see that at the beginning. And you can see that ending from the beginning. So as believers, we already have the victory. We do not have to go somewhere to get it. We have it now. But we will never experience this victory unless we begin to confess, see, and act victorious. So how does a conqueror act? He acts courageous. We are to reign as kings and priests on this earth. How does a king behave? He walks around with his head up. He doesn't walk around with his head bowed and, uh, and looking defeated. So we are to act as if we have these things which we have. You act as if you have them until you actually see them manifest in your life. So forth. Jesus has given us the authority from the word, let's find out how we can be victorious over Satan with this authority. Looking at uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 17, we find this. This is Luke, chapter 10, verse 17. It says this. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, this is what the 70 came. He had sent out these disciples. They came back, and they're, and they're reporting back to Jesus. Jesus said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, this is an astonishing revelation. In this scripture, Jesus had commissioned these disciples to go, number one, out in his name and do some work for him. Two, to go ahead of him into cities that he would later go into himself. And Jesus gave these disciples a special dispensation of authority and told them to heal the sick, raise the dead and cast out demons. So they went out. Now, keep in mind, this is, this is so important for us today. These disciples were not born again or spirit-filled Christians at the time. They were just followers of Jesus. As Iva says in her series, just ordinary men. Yet they came back with great joy and accomplishment. Now, this story makes you wonder how much authority we, that those of us who are blood-bought, blood-washed, spirit-filled, how much power we have over demons. We also have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. How much more we ought to be operating in power and joy every day and over every circumstance instead of experiencing sadness and defeat, as so many do. Now, this story in Luke continues. Look at Luke Chapter 10, verses 18 and 19, which says this. 
And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I saw Satan fall like light lightning from heaven. He's telling you right then that Satan is defeated. 19, behold, verse 19, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you over all the power of the enemy. How much power is that? All. Now, this is how you defeat the enemy. This is how you go into the boxing ring of life as a champion and defeat any opponent, demonized or otherwise, that may come against you. As we have said before, you have been delegated authority by Jesus Christ, the head of the church. Look at verse 19 again, where it says, nothing shall by any means hurt you. This is awesome. It means that there are, there's not any means, any means in existence that can hurt you. Now, we all know someone who, is, who we have deemed to be a good Christian who has suffered hurt. And some of us have suffered hurt in our own life. But we have to ask these questions at the same time. How long has you or have you or the good Christian, you know, been confessing that you have risen with Christ or that you have ascended with him or that you are seated at the right hand of the father with him? How many people know this? How many people confess this? How many people believe this? How long have you been speaking words of life to your life instead of words of death? How long have you been saying with your mouth that you are a champion instead of, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. If you're honest, you have not been confessing these truths all the time. As a result, you may have been hurt. Now, you may not know or may not have known these truths that we're just talking about. So what you don't know, you cannot take advantage of. Again, this is why we teach the word here, Crenshaw Christian Center, because God tells us in Hosea 4, 6. All of you know this by heart because we cite it so many times. This is what he's talking about. He says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, lack of knowledge of his word. So we make sure we teach his word to you so that you can gain that knowledge of his word that you need, so that you will know the truth and so that this truth will make you free. Now, in terms of good Christians who, we may, who may have suffered hurt in spite of the word, and we, and we all know some, we have to remember that what they may be experiencing may be reality, meaning it's painful and it's there and you may be able to see it. But it's not finality. This is not the final chapter. In the end, at the finality, they still win. Why? Because by his stripes, we are healed. We were healed. And no weapon formed against you shall prosper. So you always win in the end. Dr. Betty was telling somebody when they were saying that, that she may not live, she says, I'm not worried because even if I die, I'm still the victor. I'm still victorious and so forth. You have to have that attitude that you are victorious no matter what. In fact, <laughs> as, as we teach at uh, memorials, in death, you're more victorious than you were in life because you have passed into life actually from death and you have passed into victory that is forever settled when that transition happens. Now, at the bottom of the page, let's consider the words of Jesus again in verse 19, where he says this. Behold, I give to you authority that's right of privilege over all the power or ability of the enemy. What is important to see here is that 
it does not matter what your ability is. See, some people might think, well, you know what? I may have authority based on the word, but you know, I'm just a little person. I mean, what can I do? When you are the one with the authority, your ability is irrelevant and immaterial, as we say in law. If you are a military general who's just four feet, five inches tall, you still have the authority to command the guy who is six feet, seven inches tall and a whole platoon and company of such giants. It is not about your size. Do not look at yourself in your own eyes. Look at yourself the way God sees you. Remember, God identifies and sees you through Jesus. You are always a giant in his eyes. You're always a winner in his eyes. You're always a champion in his eyes. So begin to confess Luke 10, 19 daily, saying, I have been given authority over all the power or ability of Satan. Nothing by any means will harm me. You can say this softly to yourself, or you can say it out loud when you are driving in your car, or when you're in the shower, or you are alone uh, in some other place. And I say it this way because if you start walking around your job saying this, people are going to think you're crazy and uh, may want to have somebody come to get you with a straitjacket. But you do need to say it out loud. Why do you need to say it out loud? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, and that word can come from your mouth. In fact, there's no better mouth from which to get the word than your own mouth. So you need to say it out loud so you can hear it and so you can develop faith for it. So the delegation of authority by Jesus continues after his resurrection, but prior to going back to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, Jesus spoke to the disciples saying this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Matthew 28, 18, he said, all authority, that's all right or privilege, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. With the scripture above, we have two scriptures that we've just looked at that say all authority is given to Jesus. Now, how much authority is all? All is all. This leaves nothing out. So why do you suppose all that power in heaven and earth was given to him? To use it. Based on what he said in verse 18, that all power has been given to him, Jesus continues to delegate authority in Matthew 28, uh, now at verses 19 and 20. And you're familiar with these. It's a great commission, and we call it. He says in verse 19, it's still Matthew 28, verse 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, that means all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Now, after Jesus made this statement above, he ascended into heaven. And this is where he's been for the last over 1900 years, the last 2000 years, seated at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus is in heaven, but he left his body, the body being the church on earth with his authority. Jesus empowered the church to exercise his authority here on earth, in the earth realm, which he exercises in the heavenly realm. Now, as part of his body, his church on earth, the authority has been delegated to the individual believer. That's you and me. And remember the words we reviewed earlier in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, which says this. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? And again, I say, underline the words, greatness of his power towards us. If you are a believer, 
then his power has been committed to you. You have to know this, you have to act on this, and you have to confess this. Now, if we have all the power, what are we doing sick? Whipped, beaten down, and defeated. Why do some of us go with our needs, our needs unmet? When all the power is in our hands. The answer is simply the fact that we have not understood our position and authority in and through Christ. And that's why I am teaching this message. As I said earlier in this series on positive confession, the ball is in our court. It is not up to God. Whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. We bind it on earth, Jesus binds it in heaven. And when you really understand this, whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, so forth. And what you loose on earth is loose uh, uh, in heaven. Now, the opposite is true as well. Whatever we don't bind on earth will not be bound in heaven. And whatever we don't loose on earth will not be loose in heaven. This is the power to bind and the power to loose, to loose, the power to bind and the power to loose that Jesus gave us as the keys of the kingdom in Matthew 18, 18. You can go back and read it for yourself. He says, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. This is part of the authority Jesus gave us. Binding and loosing is this. You bind the power of Satan out of your life. You bind the spirit of infirmity. You bind the spirit of fear. You bind the spirit of lack. You bind the spirit of not knowing. You bind any number of things, and then they're bound in heaven. And what do you lose? You lose the spirit of knowledge. You lose the spirit of the word of God. You lose the power of the word of God in your life. You lose the spirit of love. You lose all of these things in your life, and then they are loose in heaven. Now, what we also get from Jesus, which is so important, is the authority to use his name. That is so important. And a lot of us sort of take that for granted, like we end a prayer and we say in Jesus' name or whatever. And so his name is so important. It's so important that you understand that you have been given, we have been given the power to use his name. So you do not have to go somewhere, I'm at the bottom of page eight, somewhere and contend with Satan for a place of victory. We, have, we already have it because it has been given to us. Jesus delegated the authority to us in the earth realm by his power of, a, of attorney, which is a legal phrase, which was ratified in the high court of heaven. He delegated this power to us to use and exercise on earth. As part of our authority, we have the right to use his name to transact business in his absence. And the high court of heaven will recognize this. Now, I've done for people in years past what's called a power of attorney. You know what that is. Power of attorney is when party A gives party B the power to transact business in his or her name. And that may be mean to execute contracts in his name, to sell property in his name, to transact commercial or banking transaction, that authority is delegated from A to B. So B, and that has an agency, 
to transact this business. He has the power of attorney. Well, that's what Jesus has given us, the power to use his name to transact business. And when we use his name, then that business transaction is ratified in heaven. So when you sign the name of Jesus to a prayer, a request, or to a demand, the high court of heaven will back it up. This is why the name of Jesus is so important. Every demon in hell understands and bows his knees to the name of Jesus. Because when you use his name, you are acting as a channel of God. You are, in fact, a channel of God when you're using the name of Jesus. Remember again what we found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, when Jesus says this. He says in Matthew 28, 18, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He follows this up with the delegation of authority to use his name. Look at Mark chapter 16, verse 17. This is Mark 16, 17. And you have it right there where he says, and these signs will follow those who believe. And after he says, the signs will follow those who believe, he says, in my name. And then he says what you can do in his name. But what I want you to see right here is that this is delegated authority. He says, in my name. Understand this. We do not do these things in my name. We do not. For example, you don't sign the principal's name. The principal is the person who's given you a power of attorney to do something. So when you're transacting business, you don't sign the principal's name. You sign your name because you've been given uh, the authority to do this. We don't do these things in our name. We do them in the name of Jesus. And then he ratifies them in heaven. Or to put it more precisely, when you do them, they are already ratified in heaven. When we use his name, Jesus says yes and amen to it. Jesus is, not, Jesus is not here on earth physically, but we are, and we are his body here in the earth realm. Therefore, what we do in his name, he does. It is the same as if he were here on earth doing it himself. This is how God sees it. When God sees us doing this in Jesus' name, he sees Jesus doing it. These signs will follow. Going back to Mark 16, 17, which I just read part of, 16, Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, it says this, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Now, you cannot cast out a demon if you do not believe that there are such things as demons. Many in the church world do not believe in evil spirits. But guess what? Jesus believed in evil spirits. We are certainly not smarter than he is. So we can use his name to cast out demons. Believe me, they exist. In this scripture, Jesus also says they will speak with new tongues. Now, the word tongue in the Greek is the word glossa, a glossae. We find the English word glossolalia comes from the same Greek word as glossa or glossae. And this is all in front of you here, so you don't have to, where you can read it over and over again until you get it. And it refers to, the bottom line is that it refers to language. Now, this is not talking about a sinner who used profanity before he was saved, and now he has a cleaned up version of English that he now uses. This word is, is, is referred to speaking, I mean, it refers to speaking with a new language, a new language other than your native tongue or language you, you may have learned. You know, like some of us learn Spanish, 
It's not talking about a new language in that sense and so forth. It is talking about the same thing that Apostle Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 12, 13, and 14. It is the same word talked about in Acts chapter 8, 10, and 19. This is your heavenly language called tongues. Speaking in tongues is not a denominational sectarian issue. It springs from the Bible and it is traceable to Jesus and his pronouncements that we just went over. And speaking in a new language called tongues comes from or comes with the baptism with the Holy Spirit, which is what we offer to you every Sunday uh, in the invitation. When you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, it comes with the manifestation of your prayer language. That's tongues that we call tongues. And that baptism in the Holy Spirit confers the power on the believer who receives the Holy Spirit, the ability to speak in other tongues or in your uh, heavenly language. Continuing with the scripture in Mark, we find Jesus saying the following in Mark chapter 16, verse 18. He says, they will take up serpents and they will, they, and if they drink anything deadly, it will not by any means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they, meaning the sick, will recover. Price, Apostle Price points out that this passage is not talking about going in the, into the Ozarks, into the woods, and playing with snakes to prove whether or not you have faith. Or not doing what some churches have done, and you've read about this, and, and maybe you've read about some of the fatal fatalities that happen with the church bringing in these poisonous snakes into the congregation and passing them you know, uh, among uh, parishioners to see if they, if they got bitten, if they would die. Well, you know in some cases they died. So it's, it's not talking about this. Apostle Price points out it's not talking about this. Uh, it is talking about, Apostle Price points out it's talking about if you're bitten accidentally by a snake or viper. Now we have a biblical account of this. When Paul was on the island of Melita, M-E-L-I-T-A, you see it right there, Paul picked up a bundle of sticks and a viper was in that bundle and grabbed his hand and obviously bit him. Paul shook it off into the fire and it did not bother him in the least. This is what he's talking about. If you accidentally are bitten, it will not kill you. Now, the last part of the scripture in Mark chapter 16, verse 18 is instructed to us as it relates to healing by the laying on of hands. Jesus says this, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. This is the origin of why we in the church lay hands on the sick. We lay hands on the sick in the name of Jesus and believe in faith that the sick will recover. As Jesus said, it is not our hands that have the power, but the power flows from the use of the name of Jesus and flows through the believer who does the laying on of hands. If you believe and you have hands and you lay hands on the sick, it says they will recover. It doesn't say they might recover. They will recover. So you are a believer. You have hands. If you are sick, lay hands on yourself. If someone in your family is sick, lay hands on them. You have that ability to do that. Now, this power to impact healing is another example of delegated authority that we in the church have in and from Jesus through the use of his name. So, this is the bottom line. This is where we are. This is our position in Jesus. 
We are victors because of all of Christ's victory is our victory, which we stated in the communion message this morning. His victory over every sickness and disease, over sin and every possible challenge, and his victory over the power of the grave is our victory, which is what we talked about today. How? Because we are in him. To repeat it again, you have all the authority contained in God's word. That's a word that we teach here every Sunday morning and every Thursday. You exercise this authority when you, number one, know God's word. Number two, when you believe God's word. And number three, when you confess God's word. And when you do these three things, God confirms his word in your life and in your circumstances through Christ Jesus.